And we come across this saying, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. You come across that. There's a lot of truth in that statement. And in many ways, I guess we really shouldn't be surprised that relationships, if you belong to any organization, you'll know this. If you're part of a club or a group, any church come to that, that relationships can be very difficult. It's not always easy to get on. And particularly in the church, because, of course, the Christian message brings together people from a really wide, diverse set of backgrounds. In a church, you can have people from different races, different economic backgrounds, uh, different family makeups, and the possibility within all of that for strained relationships is huge. And we get that, we understand that. I mean, just think about our slot. Take a good look around for a moment, would you? Because I have the benefit of seeing you all. But have a look. Look who's here. You just think about it. In this church, we've got people born and bred in Risca. And we've got people who've migrated from Pontuane. Emigrated from Abertillery. We've got people from Swansea. We've got people from Scotland. We've got doctors. We've got nurses, teachers, retired folk. We've got those who've had experience in management. We've got those who've worked under management. Um, we, we've people who, I don't know, live in their own houses. We have people who live in council property. We have people who drive Nissans and Hyundais and Audis and, and electric cars and all sorts of things. We have sports fans and non-sports fans. We've got people with really long Christian backgrounds and associations with churches that go back generations and others of you who have none of that and are just exploring the Christian faith. But we're all here in Moriah together this evening. And in any place other than the church, gathering such a diverse group like that on a regular basis would be a recipe for disaster. It is an amazing thing, the Christian church. The very fact that the Christian message makes it possible for us to, to meet, to, to live in relative harmony most of the time, it's evidence, isn't it, of the genuineness of our faith, and it's a testimony to the world about the power of the Christian gospel. Now, tonight we're continuing our little series entitled Short Books, Big Message. And tonight we're going to take a look at Paul's shortest letter, the letter to Philemon. It's tucked away near the end of your Bible, very, uh, well, just before the book of Hebrews. So have a look for it. If you've got a Bible app on your phone or something, you can really cheat. So you're so useful when you do this. This is definitely one of those books that can very often just stick uh, uh, together with the pages. Now, this letter is very important. In a moment, Michaela's going to come and is going to read it for us. But it centers around three central characters. Characters with about a diverse set of backgrounds, as you could imagine. You've got uh, a guy called Paul. Some of you will know about him. He'd had an insanely zealous Jewish background. Uh, he'd been a Pharisee. 
he had been one of the most learned Jewish leaders uh, around, and he'd had a dramatic conversion and had become a Christian and eventually become an apostle. So you've got Paul. Another guy you've got is Philemon, who's a wealthy Gentile businessman. And then you've got Onesimus, who's a, a runaway slave. And it seems as though Paul had previously come into contact with Philemon, possibly during his ministry back in Ephesus. And uh, they'd met up, and one thing had led to another. Paul had witnessed to him and had led him to faith in Jesus. And Philemon had uh, then gone back home. He'd gone to Colossae. And, uh, of course, you know about Colossae because we already have a letter that Paul wrote to the church there. That's what the letter of Colossians is. So it seems quite probable, scholars agree on this, that the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon, remember this is long before the royal mail existed, it seems quite probable that, 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 both, that both at the same time. One is going, well they're both going to Colossae, so one is going to an individual and one is going to the church. Paul's writing, as you probably remember, whilst he's in prison in Rome. You'll notice also, if you look at the letter, if you've got it open in front of you, it's also addressed to a couple of people with really awkward names. I'm looking forward to how you're going to say these, Michaela. But uh, we got, uh, I don't know, Afia, or whatever her name is, probably Philemon's wife. Well, you, you pronounce it your way, you're bound to be right. And then we got Archippus. That's a great name. It's like Bagpus, but his brother, Archippus. We think he's probably his son. He's quite probably the pastor of the church in Colossae. So it just gives you a bit of background. I hope that kind of... Because uh, it's useful to have all of that as you come to it. So with all of that background, Michaela's going to read for us the letter of Paul to Philemon. Thanks, Michaela. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary." Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, 
but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well done. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Michaela. That's really, really good. It's a brilliant letter. I don't know how familiar you are with it. I think it's a great letter to teach us several things about human relationships. And uh, it reveals really an awful lot about this guy, Paul, who we are very familiar with in some of his other writings. But perhaps here, quite uniquely, we get an insight into how this guy operates. I'm always conscious that over the years, I've said to my children, sometimes you have to learn how to manage people. Even those who may be your managers, line managers, bosses, or whatever. You have to exercise tact. You have to be just a little bit ahead of them sometimes. I don't know, you might think to myself, my gosh, that man's very devious. But if you think about what Paul is writing, as I hope to show you this evening, all of these things are designed to help us understand how human relationships work. And how, as Christians in particular, faith affects relationships. Before we do all of that, I just want to take a couple of minutes with you this evening to unpack the issue of slavery in the Bible. So I don't know how familiar you are with the whole issue of slavery, uh, how you perceive it, what you've maybe been taught in uh, this church or other churches, or maybe what you've picked up over the years. When we think of slavery, we, we probably think of, I don't know, Hollywood portrayals of it. I mean, there's no doubt that slavery is a shameful page, not only in the history of this country, but also of the church. Uh, the church was split over the issue. And uh, there are many, many slave un owners uh, in, back in the day who would use the Bible, including the book of Philemon, to justify the practice of slavery. And we need to acknowledge that, uh, claim that uh, the Bible actually condoned the practice. But the kind of slavery that we're familiar with through Hollywood is quite different than the slavery that was present in both the Old and the New Testaments. And it's very important we understand that. One of the main differences is that in the Bible, this isn't a racial issue. This isn't about going to the Americas, to Africa or whatever, and raiding the population and getting Negro slaves to come and work on your plantation. This is never a racial issue. P p you look through the Old and New Testaments, you'll see that people of all races and cultures were slaves. Some were born into slavery. That's the way it was. Some were abandoned as children and taken into slavery. 
um, others were sold into slavery by their parents or became slaves uh, deliberately on, on their own behest, as it were, as a result of wanting to pay off debts. Others became slaves because an invading army had come and conquered, and so people were taken off as slaves. By some estimates, during the time of Paul, writing this letter as he was, uh, slaves may have com comprised as much as a third of the population of Rome, of the Roman Empire, sorry. Now, that's just an amazing thing to get your head around. So, so put Hollywood aside tonight. I think the other thing I need to say is this. Slaves lived comparatively good lives, comfortable lives. It's not all about being beaten and, and stuff like that, like Hollywood again portrays. They were very often very well treated by their masters. Many of the most highly skilled people in Roman culture, teachers, musicians, artists, accountants, even some doctors, were slaves. So that form of slavery, do you see, is very different from the kind of slavery that maybe we're used to when you think about films that you've watched and programs that you've watched on the television. Truth be told, slaves lived in what we might consider relatively normal conditions, quite normal lives. Now, having said all of that, of course, the very idea of slavery, whether we're looking at it in Bible times, during the 19th century, or of course even today, because sadly, slavery is still a problem, even in our day and age, the very idea of slavery, we need to say, is totally incompatible with the Christian gospel. It might have been the norm in society back then, but it is incompatible. The purpose of the gospel, we know, is to bring freedom. So any system in which people are considered to be the property of their masters, as if people can be bought and sold and exchanged or even seized to pay their master's debt, that is completely contrary to the message of the Christian gospel. Now, I want you to hold that in mind. Because when it comes to Paul and the time in which he's writing, slavery may well have been part and parcel of everyday life, but we know that for him, the focus was the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we get a glimpse of how he understands all of this when he is preaching the gospel. Because he clearly believes that the gospel brings absolute transformation to any society any culture and any system or plan for the way things are done. So he makes an incredible statement, which one day I'll, I'll preach through Galatians, because I think it's, it's got so much to say to our world today. But do you remember this passage from Galatians? When you understand the culture in which this guy is ministering, he says, look, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. But now, we've done a lot about that just recently. We understand that. There's neither Jew or Gentile, but look at this, neither slave nor free. And here's a word for today, neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. So this is a very, very important thing for us to understand with the Christian gospel. We are one in Christ. And Paul wants to bring that message into the heart of his dealings with people. He's not writing 
to say that he condones practices that are going on. He's bringing the transformative power of the gospel to bear upon society. So here in this letter of Philemon, we have something that we are unfamiliar with. We're not used to having slaves. I often protest that I'm treated like a dog's body at home, but I'm not a slave. You know, the kids will tell you, if they were here, that I have treated them like slaves, but I've not. I've never paid them for anything they've done, so that's fine. <laughs> you know? But this is not something we naturally understand. It's not part of our psyche, is it? We don't, we don't have slaves. We don't, we don't necessarily get the whole thing. But stick with me. We're going to try and get through Philemon this evening. We're going to go a bit deep. Uh, hopefully you'll be okay. I'm going to watch Anne, okay? We're going to get a... Okay? And we'll see how it goes. But I, I, I really want to encourage you. If you've got a Bible, please open it, because I don't want to spend too long uh, referencing passages. I'm just going to let you have that open in front of you as we go through this passage in the next few minutes. Now, we know that uh, Philemon had a slave uh, named Onesimus. That guy had stolen from his master and scarpered. Of course he had. He'd nicked money, or whatever it was, and he'd gone to Rome. Problem was, when he was in Rome, he bumped into this guy, Paul. And Paul, being Paul, shares the gospel with him, and God opens up Onesimus' heart, and he responds by putting his faith in Jesus. And so Paul, being Paul again, takes Onesimus under his wing, disciples him, plows his life into him and everything, and Onesimus, in turn, it seems, looks after Paul. Paul's an old man. We see that from the letter itself. And so Onesimus is happy to, you know, return the favor, as it were. As Onesimus grew in his faith, he came to realize that what he'd done to Philemon, his master, wasn't good. He came to his senses. He realized, as a Christian, he needed to put that right. And so he wants to be reconciled to Philemon. So he goes home. Returns with this letter in which uh, Paul exhorts Philemon uh, to receive Onesimus back into his household. Not just as a slave now, but as a brother. That's very, very important, isn't it? Better than a slave as a dear brother there in verse 16. So the main thrust of what we're going to learn from this very short book is this, is this. The key to healthy relationships is humility. The key to healthy relationships is humility. We're going to see that in the relationship between Paul and Onesimus. The relationship between Paul and Philemon. The relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon and his family. And indeed the relationships within the church that met in Philemon's home there in Colossae. This is an incredible book to challenge us about the way we understand our human relationships. So how do, how do we exercise humility in our relationships? I think the first thing we need to do is remember God's grace. The first thing, if we're going to exercise humility in our relationships with other people, we need to remember God's grace. The one thing that everyone mentioned in this letter, whether they were a slave, a slave owner, or an apostle, the one thing they all shared in common, which united them, 
was that the grace of God had been extended to them. That's, that's the key thing. That's what we need to start with. We don't know whether they had the same hair colour. We don't know whether they were similar height. We don't know much about the other guys' backgrounds and stuff. But what we do know is that to every single one of them, the grace of God had been extended through Jesus. So it's fitting. You see it there in verse 3 and verse 25 on the screen? You can see it in the text, hopefully in front of you, if you've got your Bible open. Paul begins and ends the letter with an emphasis on grace. This is the, this is, you know, everything else is the meat in the sandwich. These, this is the bread. This is the stuff that's going to come here and here. You put everything else in between. This is going to start with grace and it's going to finish with grace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now Paul begins a lot of his letters by blessing the recipients with God's grace and God's peace. He closes here as well with a benediction calling for God's grace to be with Philemon. It was Martin Luther uh, who once wrote, We're all of the Lord's Onesimuses. I think that's right. This, this letter may be very, very small, and you may not have read it before, and, and it may be new to you. I think it beautifully illustrates the operation of God's grace in the lives, lives of every single believer. Whether you are the lowest of the low or the highest of the high, you may be a very important person in your work. But I'm telling you now, the lowest person in your workplace can also experience the grace of God. You may be king of the castle in your home, but your wife can receive the grace of God as much as you can. It doesn't matter who you are. Rich, poor, successful, unsuccessful. The grace of God is open to everyone. Now we know, don't we, God created us to serve him. He's our rightful master. But like Onesimus, every single one of us blinking rebels. Onesimus mucked up. Got it wrong with his master. He nicked a pile of money and ran. That's a beautiful picture of what we've done. We took everything God entrusted to us for us to use for him and for his glory and we said, to him. And we went off and said, I'm going to have this for myself, thank you. We stole his glory. We ran away, claiming to be free. Wee! Only to find that we become slaves to sin. That's what the Bible paints this picture again and again and again. And while we were running away from God, God meets us. And I think for the majority of us here tonight, we've had that meeting. We've had that meeting with God. Somebody comes and they share the good news with us. And God opens our eyes and allows us to see our sin. We become aware that we're guilty and we're condemned. It makes us fearful of going back to God. And Jesus says to us, look, you are guilty. There's no use trying to plead your case before God. Let me do that for you. And this is exactly what we see in this letter. We've got a brilliant portrayal of the gospel. Look down and read through the letter just quickly. Look. Look what it says here. It's all about the fact that, you know, this guy has experienced grace. If you consider me a partner, welcome him, as you would welcome me. He's done you any wrong, owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'm going to pay you back. None of us could ever hope to pay God for all the sins we've committed. But the good news is we don't have to do it. 
Jesus died on the cross in order to pay the entire debt that we owe God for those sins. All the glory that we stole from him, <laughs> it's paid back by Jesus. If we would do nothing more than remember the grace we have received from God, I think that would be a brilliant place to start. I think it would help us to exercise a whole lot more humility in our relationships, don't you? I think it would just remind us to bear in mind our proper station in life because we've all mucked up and yet God has done this wonderful thing in Jesus for us. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is that, okay, remember God's grace, we need to pray for others. Even before Paul sat down to write this letter, he, I think he was praying for Philemon. You get the feeling that he'd been doing this for a long time, probably ever since he came into contact with Onesimus. Because you can imagine, it must have been a pretty awkward conversation when Paul and Onesimus got together. There was Paul, a mighty apostle. There was Onesimus, slave, thief. How did the conversation go? How did it go as he started to get to know him a bit better? As he started to share the gospel with him? Got anything you want to get off your chest, son? Anything you feel you need to be forgiven for? Said a bad word? I nicked some money. Oh, who did you nick it from? My master. And the conversation goes on. And eventually this guy opens his heart, Paul is able to witness to him, and he gives his life to Jesus. And I think Paul would have started praying for Philemon right then. I think right then he'd have understood how important it was to manage this situation. Remember what I said earlier? I think he realizes that this is a situation where the power of the gospel can break through to restore relationship. Have you noticed how hard it is to genuinely pray for God to bless somebody that you hate? You ever prayed for somebody whose guts you hate? It's hard for you to stay hateful towards them. Try it. That awkward so-and-so at work, pray for them. See how long you feel that you can be hateful towards them in your spirit. You notice how hard it is to remain angry at somebody who tells you that they're praying for you? That's an even harder one. Think about that. Look, to exercise humility in our relationships, this is key. Let's remember God's grace to us. I'm a recipient of God's grace. I need to pray for other people. I need to pray for those that I find awkward. The third thing, be tactful. Is that a spiritual gift, tact? It should be. I do not, some of you are not very tactful, are you? Are you? No. No. You're not. I'm preaching to myself here because I'm not very tactful either. My natural tendency is to be pretty blunt with people. And if I'm not careful, that can morph into bluntness and I suffer from the Peter syndrome, foot in mouth. Yeah? Many of you can identify with that. If I'd have been writing this letter to Philemon, it would have gone very differently. Believe me, Louise Bolton, it would have. It would have probably gone somewhere like this. Philemon, let's forget all the pleasantries, get right to the point. Sending an SMS back to you. He's a Christian now, so forgive him everything he's done in the past. Welcome him like a brother, Mark. There you go, that's it. That's fine, right? I love how Isaac Newton 
defined tact. Tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. It's good, isn't it? Tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. Paul does that brilliantly in this letter. Look at it. It takes time. Do you notice, as you go through the letter, he's kind of full of all the pleasantries first. Do you ever have letters like that? I open letters and as dear pastor, and I think, oh, here we go. And it starts with all the pleasantries. It's lovely to see you in church on Sunday. Love the shirt you're wearing. Thank you very much. You look as if you've lost weight. Are you doing well on your diet? Drawing you in. This is great. You Seriously, read the letter of Philemon. You'll see Paul is doing this. He's drawing this guy in. He's very, very clever. Expresses his love and appreciation for Philemon. Asks Philemon to consider the situation from God's perspective. Only after he does all of that does he get around to his request in verse 17. Have I got that on there? No. You look at verse 17. He's gone. He's nearly, nearly, yeah, there's only eight verses left. But he's pulled him in. He's, he's being tactful. Now don't sit there and turn around now and say, that's not very Christian, is it? Of course it is. God's given you a nonce. He's given you the ability to think. And sometimes we need to be a bit more tactful in the way we are. Sometimes as Christians, we're very, very quick to... Just come out with it. We just wish people had a bit more tact. You, know, you may agree with them, but you don't need to say it quite like that. I think the other thing, did you spot it? You need to remember God's grace. God's been so, oh, so full of grace towards me. I need to pray for those I find. Out. I need to exercise about attack. Then I need to be willing to yield my rights. This is a brilliant thing. I, I think, have you ever done this as a parent? Have you ever been willing to yield your rights, waive your rights as a parent? Have you ever done that with your kids? It's liberating. Absolutely liberating. I think this is something we see here. I think it's great in relationships. Look at verses 8 through 10. You'll see it for yourself. Here is Paul. He's an apostle. He says himself uh, to this guy, he says, I've got the right to demand that you do what I'm telling you. And we know, don't we, in some churches today, you get pastors who will say that. I'm the pastor. What I say goes, Mary Davis. Right. And you sit there nodding your head. I'm telling you what you should do. Yeah, Some of you have been in churches like that. Some of you have been hurt in churches like that. Now look at Paul. Look at what he does. He says, okay, I've got the right to, I've got the, I'm an apostle for goodness sake. Can't get any higher than me. Next higher than me is Holy Spirit. I've got the right to demand that you do what I'm telling you. But he appeals. Bit of tact, bit of tact. He appeals to Philemon. And, you know, is willing to, to live with whatever Philemon decides to do. He's waving, he's yielding his rights. Think about Onesimus. He's doing exactly the same. Think about him. He could easily have claimed, well, now I've become a disciple of Jesus. I, I, I'll stay with you, Paul. That's, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll stay with you. I'll look after you. You're getting old. You're getting frail. But he waves that, and he, he wants to willingly return to Philemon. He wants to put things right. And, and 
suffer the consequences. You don't know what Philemon's going to do. We, we don't know. So you've got Paul waving his rights. You've got Onesimus waving his rights. Philemon waves his rights. Look at that. Philemon waves, he yields his rights to punish Onesimus for what he'd stolen and for running away. In that culture, that punishment could have been selling Onesimus to a new owner to pay the debt off, having him arrested by the Roman government, possibly even putting him to death. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that you should let people run roughshod over us and take advantage of us, and that we should say, well, I waive all my rights to say anything. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to say anything. Sometimes we need to stand up for what's right, don't we? Sometimes you have to. Nobody else should do it. But in general, one of the biggest barriers to reconciling broken relationships occur when both parties insist on hanging on to their rights. Think about marriages. Think about in the workplace. Think about in community. Counselors who treat citizens in the community like what? I don't know. Because they're a counselor. And even in some churches it happens. Let's remember God's grace. Let's pray for others. Let's be tactful. Let's be willing to, you know, yeah, I'm the pastor. So what? You may be a deacon, so you may be a very senior manager, and you, hey, okay, whatever, whatever, loser. <laughs> what else? You need to be willing to bear the cost. There's a cost. If we're going to have good human relationships and we're going to exercise humility, there's going to be a cost. There's always a cost in developing and maintaining healthy relationships, isn't there? And the three characters here in this letter, short letter, big message. You're right, Anne. Oh, come on. They, they knew it. They knew a cost. Paul, at least two costs to him. First, there was the cost associated with parting with Onesimus. This guy had been incredibly useful. Can I just point this out to you as well? This is brilliant, okay? I love Greek, as you know. I, I love being able to... I was privileged in college to, to study Greek. Paul's a blinking comic genius. He really is. Do you know what the word, the name Onesimus means when it's translated? Useful. Watch this. This is funny. This is so, so funny. Because he writes that Onesimus, whose name means useful, had formerly been useless to Philemon. Do you see it there? It's not as good in the English, but I'm telling you, when they got this, they had a little chuckle. A bit like this. <laughs> because since he became a disciple of Jesus, he was useful to the both of them. There's a little bit of wordplay going on here. It's just tucked away, and it's got nothing to do with the cost, but I just wanted to show you that. But Paul's going to lose Onesimus. He's been jolly useful. It's been nice having him around. And, and do you remember the other thing that Paul said in the letter? It's also going to cost him, because Paul has said, hey, if, you're, if you want your money back, the money that this guy stole, I'll pay it back. He's willing to pay the financial costs that Philemon has incurred due to Onesimus' actions. That's quite something, isn't it? 
Paul's willing to sort that out. Onesimus, he had several costs to bear as well. He bore the cost of giving up his freedom. The very real possibility that he'd return to his life as a slave. There's also the real possibility that he'd have to make restitution to Philemon. And finally, of course, the cost of him parting from Paul. Don't think he wanted to do that. It's going to be quite a, a wrench. And Philemon, well, he's got costs. He'd lost a slave. What did Philemon been employed to do? Why did he buy him? I don't know. What did he do? Did he do the chores at home? It's nice, isn't it? You know, if somebody does the chores, you come home, you don't have to worry about vacuuming. I hate vacuuming. You know, maybe he'd wash the dishes. I, I don't know. He was lacking whatever cash or prop property Onesimus had stolen. Maybe he'd been planning a nice holiday to Mallorca. Couldn't take it. Because the money'd gone out of the kitty. What about the potential cost to his reputation? Never thought about this. I was mulling this over just uh, this afternoon. The potential cost to his reputation. If Onesimus comes back and Philemon forgives him, what's that going to do? How are the other slave owners in Colossae going to respond to that? Oh, flipping heck. They're all going to be one to left off the hook now. See, there's a wide variety of costs. Do you see it there? A wide variety of costs in order to maintain healthy relationships. It can involve time. It can involve material resources. Sometimes it means that you've got to give up one relationship for the good of another. Sometimes it might damage your reputation. Well, so be it. We're drawing to a close. What's the next thing you need to do? So you need to remember God's grace to you. You need to pray for others. You need to be tactful. You need to be willing to give up your rights. You need to be willing to bear the cost. And you need to, sixthly, expect the best in others. I love what Paul writes. This is brilliant. It's genius. Talking about tact again. Look at this. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Isn't that brilliant? You can't see it, can you? You just uh, oh, right, right. He's hooking him in, isn't he, Nigel? He's got him. He's got him. He's exercising tack towards this guy. He's massaging his ego a little bit. He's using his nonce. He's getting into this guy's mind. He's trying to show him things have changed, Philemon. You need to understand, Onesimus is not just your property. He's not just a slave now. He's done wrong. He's coming back to you. wants to make restitution. If he can't do that, I'll do it. Tell me what it is. I'll write a check. I'll cover the whole blinking lot. You welcome this guy back as a brother. And I know you will. In fact, I know you'll throw him a party. And you'll invite the neighbours. And you'll buy him a car. And you'll take him a moss bros and buy him a suit. Does moss bros still exist? I don't know, but whatever. Now, the same thing works in our relationships. Some of us are just, gosh, we wonder why we don't have many friends or why we don't get on with people or why people seem to give us a wide berth. Humility. Let's just remember our true status. And the wonderful things, thing in closing is this. All of this 
is because relationships are a fantastic way to bring glory to God. That's the brilliant thing about it. BMS World Mission would not exist but for relationships. It's got nothing to do with how much money they get in. At all. The success of leading people to Christ on a mission field in Brazil 25 years ago, whatever it was, was all based in people getting on with each other, making relationships, being able to forge ahead because there was trust. Not because you were there as, well, I'm Sheila Brown. Everybody back in Risca knows me. <laughs> she knows I love her. This is what it's about. Employing these principles that we've looked at this evening will improve our marriages, they'll make for a happier family life, they'll make our jobs more enjoyable, and I honestly believe it will prevent conflict in the church. Praise God for this church. By and large, relationships are good, but not always. If our relationships are no different than those of the outside world, then when there's unresolved conflict in our marriages and when churches split over personality clashes or preferences about worship or whatever, the world looks at us and thinks, hmm, look at them. And every time that happens, we steal a bit of God's glory and people turn away from Jesus. But as we started to see this morning, when the world looks at the church and sees stuff differently, when we are not blending in, but standing out. When we love each other and exercise humility and understand about God's grace, wow! God gets the glory then because stuff starts happening. There's a pretty good chance that every single one of us here this evening has at least one relationship in our lives where we're struggling. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with your kids or your parents. Maybe a relationship with a neighbor or a colleague at work. Even maybe somebody else who's sitting in this building. Listen, you can't fix all of that tonight. But I, I honestly believe that if every one of us would just pick out one of those things, a few of those things that we've looked at tonight and exercise those in our relationships. I think, fundamentally, we'd be more humble with each other. And I think that would affect those relationships that we're struggling with. Philemon. One page in my Bible, not even a full page. 25 verses. Short book, big message. I commend it to you. Have a read through it. See the difference that humility in relationships can truly make. Amen. Well, if you want to know more about these studies, uh, do feel free to have a chat with me afterwards. I'd be happy to, to go through them with you and to talk more about how this series is developing. We're going to finish with a great hymn that uh, we don't often sing these days, but it's a lovely hymn that reminds us uh, what it is to be united in love. And it's blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Let's stand to sing this closing hymn.
share the grace with each other, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Please do join us for refreshments. Thank you.
Thank you.